0: Hello Stone Apes, and others who are curious about the healing powers of psychedelic medicines. Welcome to the Stoned Ape Reports. I'm your host, Stuart Preston. Each episode, I talk to another Stoned Ape, somebody who has experienced the transformational powers of psychedelics, or with a practitioner who works with these medicines. In this episode, I had the pleasure of speaking with Ben. Ben shared his story of fighting spirituality early on in life, but still having to deal with alcoholism, depression, even suicidal thoughts and how he came to find help in plant medicines. While still on his journey, he now also helps others to integrate their plant lessons. Please enjoy this episode with Ben and his story. Ben, thank you for joining me here on the uh, Stoned Ape Reports. So I'm excited to have you. We got connected through uh, a common friend and we've had a couple conversations and I'm excited to hear you know, your Stoned Ape story as well as some of the awesome things you have going on in the plant medicine world. So why don't we just jump in and, and tell us, you know, your, your story and, and what you may have been dealing with in life and, and the plant medicines and, and how that journey went for you.
1: Sure. Yeah, thanks. And thank you for having me on. I really appreciate the opportunity and just appreciate what you're doing here with this podcast to give people an opportunity to speak about their experiences. And um, I think it's, especially in these times, this yeah. is a really uh, important avenue for people to stay connected and stay open minded so thank you for doing this. Yeah, um, thank you. Yes, yeah, so um I would say the uh, the spiritual part of my life journey probably um in my late teens, that's when I really feel I kind of started to open up to this this perspective on life and living in the world. Um you know, kind of grew up in a pretty normal quote unquote uh, mm-hmm family and, and, a just in a place of my life and and where I was raised. Um, you know, for all intents and purposes, I had a very normal life. Um, and part of having a normal life is challenges and struggles and traumas and pain and loss. And, and, um, you know, in my late teens, early twenties, uh, I was exposed to, um, some of the traditional shamanic practices, what are, what we now refer to as traditional shamanic practices and shamanic cultures. And it really just opened up this whole world to me that up to that point I had no uh, exposure to. And um, I really invested myself pretty deeply into hmm. uh, learning more and, and learning what these practices are that uh, our ancestors across the globe, each and in their own way, uh, studied and practiced and brought forward and and the the foundation of it all and what really resonated with me was this understanding of earth wisdom for lack of a better word Hmm. you know uh the the idea and the concept that whatever we want to deem as spiritual um or as divine is right here it's in the soil beneath your feet it's in the trees above your head it's in the air that swirls around you um to be exposed to that at that age was like, oh, that makes sense. I get it. Yeah. You know, like that resonates, you know, and, and it, it, it really just um, brought a perspective for me that that was the first time that spirituality made sense, you know, hmm. like the divine yeah. is here. And um, so it was it, it was very foundational for me. And right around that same time, uh, late teens, early twenties, is also when um, I started to experience and and, and start to uh, have come up in my in my life some really challenging, deep felt uh, traumas and pain hmm. um, at, at like for what I would now call at like a soul level, a spiritual pain and spiritual suffering. You know, kind of that yeah. that feeling of, like, what am I doing? And, like, what is all this about, you know? And what teenager has any grasp on really what that means? You know, all I knew right. was, like, there was this very deep, profound emptiness that I was experiencing. And, of course, at that time in our culture, that's when they ship you off to college or they ship you out. Mm-hmm. You're 18 now. Time to be an adult and go out into the world. And um, it was a mm-hmm. very uh it, it like the dichotomy between those these two worlds that were being opened up to me on the one hand of this for the first time in my life having a spiritual perspective that resonated and on the other hand mm-hmm. being exposed to this this world that did not feel good it didn't resonate it didn't um it, it wasn't offering the type of uh acknowledgement recognition support understanding um, that I, that I really felt I needed at a soul level, you know? Um, yeah. And through this, you know, was when the first signs of uh, some really profound and deep depression, clinical depression from what these doctors were telling me I had started to arise. And this, Mm -hmm. like this real deep emptiness and loneliness, um, was, inescapable and as I started to experience the symptoms of um major depression more and more and it was coming up in my capacity to you know show up at school and connect with loved ones and feel joy Hmm. and and connection to things that uh, were meaningful to me I was you know discovering that this is uh certainly something that my family has experienced long before me you know this was something that um kind of in the blood in the genes you know yeah Um, and right around that time is when I started to really fall deeply into alcohol and started to experiment with drugs and and it was just this perfect storm of avoidance and suppression of emotions you know Um, yeah I became really skilled at, uh, avoiding what my, what this deep soul feeling was trying to communicate to me. Um, Hmm. and I mean, I would say not only was I avoiding it, I didn't even know how to understand it. You know, all I knew was that I felt empty and, uh, these things that I was putting into my system seemed to have a temporary way to kind of quiet that emptiness. Yeah. Um, and it, and it also led to, you know, this, this trouble that I was experiencing with feeling worthy to continue to explore this spiritual path that was opening up to me. You know, I was, and this was like, you know, late nineties, early two thousands. So there weren't as many resources available at the tips of your fingers to go and explore like shamanism or shamanic practices or, you know, different cultural approaches to um, shamanic traditions. I was basically left to whatever meager things I could find online or books, you know, thankfully there was a lot of, a lot of really great resources out there. Um, I mean, Sandra Ingerman was a lifeline for years, just reading a lot of her work just to get an understanding of what the, uh, what a shamanic perspective can look like. Um, and there was a number, of, you know, Hank Wasserman and and other authors and Carlos Castaneda was another really Uh, foundational um, source of material for me to just kind of just to learn, you know, because there was nothing Mm -hmm. else out there for me. So um, now, you know, through my 20s, the this split just got further and further and further. And I didn't have much of a community or there weren't a whole lot of people in my life that I felt safe to express these things to. Yeah, on either end of the spectrum, either this this spiritual calling that I was exploring, or the depths of my pain and loneliness. I, I mean, I really had nobody to talk to, so yeah. there wasn't any. I didn't have solid footing in either side of this this split. Yeah, um, and I moved around a bit. I, tra- you know, I was, grew up in New England, and then I traveled and moved to the West Coast, lived in Oregon for a while, and then travel down to South Carolina and in and out of relationships and the, you know, the, the sickness that I was experiencing of this depression uh, brought me to some very, very dark places, very lonely, isolated places. And I, at this time in my life, I'd only, you know, heard of plant medicines simply through my readings and my own kind of playing around with mushrooms and psychedelics um, it certainly wasn't medicinal and it certainly wasn't ceremonial and it, but it did, you know, open up some of the, the doors that these plant medicines can offer. I just didn't have the context or the yeah. guidance to explore it any further. So really just in this place of being very lost, you know, that I could hear that call. I could feel that, that aspect of myself that was pulling me towards something more meaningful something more uh, connected to a a force greater than myself, a a wisdom greater than myself, a love greater than myself, I just had no idea how to follow that. But you felt a pull, like it was talking to you. Yeah, it it was certainly there. And the only thing that I could hold on to, like the only meager, tiny little thread that I could hold on to during this time was this feeling of, this wisdom, this consciousness, this, this love begins with the earth. Mm. You know, it's when I'm out in the, on, in the mountains or on the woods or by the beach, when I'm out in that nature space, that's when the call is the clearest. Mm. And it was this, all these attempts to continue to get back and just try to find it somewhere in those spaces. And then inevitably having to leave and come back into the, into the matrix, for Mm
2: -hmm. lack of a better word, you know? Yeah.
1: Um, And so it wasn't until uh, probably, let's see, at this point, like eight years ago, seven years ago, um, that I had begun to find a little footing with, well, even longer than maybe 10 years by this point, um, started to find my footing in how to integrate this spiritual practice that was developing and Mm -hmm. bring it out of the closet, so to speak. You know, I was doing a lot of this just in silence and in quiet and in isolation. You know, I didn't know who to talk to. I didn't know how to bring it out. But by this point, I had started to connect with some like-minded people. I was living in South Carolina at this point. And, you know, as, as it often happens, the universe just kind of puts the right people on your path at the right time. And, and that's what happened for me. And i I suddenly found a place where I could feel safe to start to open this up just a little bit, you know actually have a conversation or two around how how what I do when I go out in the woods by myself, you know and
2: mm-hmm.
1: why is it that on you know the full and the new moon I, I go down to the beach and do this little thing and and oh, I can finally start to talk about this, and this person's not judging me or uh not kind of looking at me sideways or d- doing these things that had, I had learned were, um, if I'm getting this reaction, stop talking, hide it, shut it down, Mm. you know? Yeah. And so this, this community started to develop and I started to surround consistently find myself surrounded by people who were accepting and allowing of me to share and open up a little bit more. And this also was an opportunity, the first opportunity I had to start to share Beyond just in conversation with close and like minded people, but to actually start to offer um, classes and workshops on these things that I've been practicing for, you know, 12 years at this point. And I started to teach some of the real simple practices and techniques that I had learned over the time around shamanic journeying and connecting with earth medicine and through, you know, being out in nature and. Um, you know, following the seasons, working with the moon, and all of these just different practices that I had developed through my study was now in the opportunity to share that with other people. And through this, you know, the call's getting a little louder, and I'm able to hear that call a little more consistently. Um, I'm still at this point, still dealing with this serious depression that uh, never seemed to really leave. I just Mm -hmm. learned how to manage it and how to navigate it rather than kind of being constantly caught in the swells of this real deep and profoundly felt darkness. Yeah. It was still there. Um, and the struggles that I was having with, uh, alcohol was was still there, you know, and, and I really had at this point, you know, at this point I'm now 30, 31 years old. I had resigned myself to the fact that alcohol is just going to be a part of my life. You know, I got it. The Irish curse, right? Like, Mm. Just going to have to deal and hope that I don't get too many DUIs or just really hope that I don't hurt anybody else. But I don't know. I've tried for 10 years at this point to shake this grip of alcohol and it's, it's stronger than I am. So I might as well just learn how to live with it. That was really what I had resigned myself to. Mm. And this community around me is developing, this practice is starting to take shape uh, and learning how through teaching others, it deepens my own understanding of these practices and, and deepens my own connection to these things and really seeing the, how even in the midst of terrible pain and loneliness and brutal addiction, there is this sense of light and healing and hope found in a deeply felt spiritual practice. Whatever it is. Now,
0: and just to be clear, the spiritual practice is this purely a meditative spiritual practice, or is this aided by plant medicines at this point
1: at this point it's still the only medicines I was using was a drum and a rattle
0: a drum and a rattle and full moon and, and new moon yep. and your your presence
1: that's right you know and I had um, really uh appreciated at that time, the, the work of, and I mentioned like Sandra Ingerman, Michael Harner, Christina Pratt is another, uh, just brilliant, uh, contemporary shamanic practitioner. Um, she was actually the first podcast that I started listening to like I know, 12 years ago. She still does it once a week. It's called why shamanism now. And that, you know, the, these resources and these wisdom keepers that were sharing their knowledge, uh, the primary focus of their information was like the essential tools and practice of shamanism. You know, hmm. didn't really get too lost in the re the, you know, the, 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 for, and I say this with compassion, like the woo woo side of things. They right, right. were very grounded, really grounded materials. And for me at that time, that's exactly what I needed. And, and in a lot of ways, their, their perspective is plant medicine is important, but it's not the only way. And um, that, was help, that was really helpful for me because I didn't have the access or opportunity to explore plant medicine at that time. So that's really what cr- helped create the foundation of hmm. my spiritual practice. Um, and, and that's what I was teaching, like shamanic journeying techniques, different ways to utilize Something as simple as drum, to uh, to get the con, get your consciousness to a meditative state wherein you are open and receptive to the the wisdom within and without, you mm-hmm. know, and how to develop that practice consistently, reliably. Learn how to navigate your uh, your spiritual landscape. You know, one of the yeah. most beneficial parts of the shamanic journeying practice for me is that it allows me to experience and interact with my own symbolic metaphorical language you know because the mm-hmm. the worlds that are opened in that type of meditation you know that what's set what distincts shamanic journeying from something um of kind of what we norm what, what is often thought of as meditation which is to quiet the mind you know yeah the thoughts allow the thoughts to come and go um shamanic journeying it really it's engaging with mm. your imagination it's allowing yourself to open up the capacity that our imagination has and do so with the understanding that imagination isn't make believe you know it's we're not yeah. just making these things up Our imagination is what spirit uses to talk to us. Hmm. And so naturally, spirit is going to use the images, the memories, the feelings, the emotions that resonate. And the more that we can communicate and and dialogue with spirit in that way, the more we understand and are able to interpret our own uh, metaphorical language, our own mythology, our own spiritual spiritual language, you know? (laughs) yeah so so that that that's what i taught and that's it it was received really well and and it helped me understand how this practice uh the 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 importance of having a uh grounded practice like this that actually provides you the opportunity to open up that imaginary landscape yeah uh, and do so with respect and reverence for what it really is instead of this feeling of like i'm daydreaming or i'm just i'm making (laughs) all this up right and so in that time and in, in the space that I was in, um, in South Carolina, I was living in Charleston at this time, um, this beautiful community. And I, and I had a, a number of people at this point who were asking me and, and talking to me about, oh, have you ever tried, have you ever experienced ayahuasca? Have you ever gone on to Peru and done this? And at that time it was, nope, I haven't, I haven't, you know, really my own experiences were with mushrooms you know, here and there, but nothing really uh, with any sort of spiritual or ceremonial context. And and I started to research a bit more and and certainly, you know, I was curious about it. And I remember, you know, Michael Harner's first book, Way of the Shaman, kind of opens with his experience with ayahuasca in the 60s or 70s. So as I was aware of it, I just, for me, it seemed like, well, it's all well and good, but it's nothing I could ever do. I mean, I'm just this, you know, white kid from Rhode Island I don't <laughs> that's that's like an a, a very respected and revered and sacred medicine for for a people that I am not and I don't want to be yeah. another gringo traipsing all over this indigenous culture gobbling it up and making it my own you know I, I yeah I, I felt a very strong aversion to doing that um but it kept coming you know again that message that 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 feeling just kept coming back into my awareness and and finally, uh, uh, someone who I really respected, a good friend of mine down there in Charleston, who I really respected. And, and he, I looked at him as someone who, who does this with integrity. You know, he walks and mm-hmm. walk with integrity. And he was sharing with me an experience that he just had in Peru of his own, you know, going and sitting with uh, ayahuasca in a traditional ceremonial context. And yeah. to hear him talk about it, I was like, wait a minute, he's not he's not just another gringo going down there. Being yeah. A rude American scooping it up, you know, huh? Maybe, maybe there is, maybe there is an opportunity to explore this for myself. And, and sure enough, not soon after that, the opportunity came to go and um, sit in a traditional Shipibo style ceremony um, in the States. <laughs> and it was with, I know another, another person that I really respected and, and, valued and and honored the way that they practice their own spiritual medicine. And Mm -hmm. so it, it felt like, all right, this is here's an opportunity, you know, and and again, when the universe puts these opportunities in front of us, uh, there's no right or wrong answer. There's only, you know, we can only move towards or away from the direction that the universe is already moving us. Yeah. And and it really felt like this is kind of been building up to this over the course of the last 12 years, you know, that I had been engaged in some sort of spiritual practice.
0: Yeah. Hearing you talk about it sounds like a very purposeful path that was kind of laid before you.
1: Yeah. It felt really orchestrated, you know, and, mm-hmm. and looking back now, it's almost like, of course, duh. It's <laughs> like, what other, where, where else could this have gone? You know? Right. So, so I, I, I traveled to where the ceremony was being held, and it was over the course of uh, four nights five days and four nights in this traditional Shipibo style ceremony the Shipibo is a uh, it 's a region of uh, Eastern Peru along the Amazon that has carried on the their tradition and practice with the medicine for thousands <laughs> of years that we know of and so it's it 's really a deeply rooted tradition with this medicine. Um, you know, this wasn't a few people from Burning Man who happened to get some online and cooked it up in their kitchen. This was a this right. was a very traditional. Uh, traditional approach to it. And, and I didn't really, I, I purposefully tried to avoid watching much or, or, doing a whole lot of research about, you know, what the Shipibo style ceremony is, or, uh, you know, I saw that there was some material online. This was like 20 13, mm-hmm. 13, Uh, so I mean, there, at this point there's YouTube videos and things available, but I, I tried to keep my awareness of it pretty light so I could keep my expectations. Um, well to not have expectations.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Pretty smart.
1: Yeah. So I you know, you know, and, and by this point I, I would hazard, a guess most people listening to this have an idea of kind of what the ayahuasca experience is like in a lot of ways, but it's uh, in the traditional Shipibo style. Like many ayahuasca traditions, it's done at night. And it's done the, – the probably the, the, the major uh, approach along with the medicine is the use of song, use of singing. Mm-hmm. In their culture, they're called Icaros, uh, which are medicine songs. The concept of which in their tradition is that through – years decades of of discipline and study and reverence and um and work with the medicine these shamans uh develop an affinity with not just with ayahuasca but with the master plants of the jungle that all work in concert together and there is a a practice in these traditions um Then in the Western world, we call diets or dietas, which are very, uh, very restrictive and intentionally isolating experiences where it's just the practitioner and the plant over a course of many, many, it could be weeks, could be months, could be years. And through these diets, the the shaman um, learns in a way to embody the plant and Mm. be a conduit for the plant to bring its medicine out into these ceremonies through the use of song. And the song is really just the, it's not just it. One function of it is to create the vibration of the the plant's energy and medicine through the rhythm and the tone and, and the sound that the shaman makes through the song. It transmits this medicine and this energy that is then directed through the words the shaman uses in the traditional Shipibo language to direct and guide and, you know, help transmit that energy of medicine through the song. Right. And so the ceremony is sitting in the dark for the most part with the most incredible noises you've ever heard in your life. You know, sometimes it's like the most beautiful melodies and harmonies and other times it's like, I don't know what dimension this language is, (laughs) but it's not this one. And, you know, I could, we could do a number of podcasts, just about those four nights, just those. And, but what I would say is that the experience I walked away from was, or the, what I walked away from in that experience was for the first time in my life, feeling that connection, that, that voice, that, pull that I had been experiencing my whole life finally come from inside me Hmm. instead of something outside of me. Yeah. Um, You know, and seeing firsthand that this, this longing, this loneliness, this, this unnameable feeling that I was searching for is inside. Hmm. And, um, and that was it <laughs> didn't tell me anything more. That was really, uh, you know, okay. Now what do I do with this? How do I, all right. Now, now in, in some ways it almost feels even more excruciating because now I'm not outside myself looking for it. Now it's wherever I go. <laughs> there's yeah. This, this, this feeling, you know? And, um, but there was such a profound and undeniable shift that took place in that experience where, uh, up until that point, it was my belief that the pain, the suffering, the addiction, the loneliness, the hurt, the trauma, that was all me. The medicine, the spirit, the connection I felt to the earth, the, the reverence that I held to this spiritual practice that was outside of me. And I need to get rid of all of this. And it's all of these things, this, that, you know, I can't stop drinking. And I'm, and I'm, Punishing myself, and I hate the way I look, and I hate the way I feel. Like all of this stuff is what's preventing me from connecting to that thing outside of me. You know, mm-hmm. that, that at the end of those four days, I it was the understanding that 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 true light, that true spirit, that true voice. It's not outside of me. It is in the center. It's in the depths, in the center of my being, and all of that other stuff are just these ugly old layers between this conscious self that's looking at this and that sense of spirit. And so, all right, what do I need to do to get these layers out of the way? Yeah. You know? Um, And so, you know, for the first two or three or four years after that, I went back to this place where I went for the ceremony regularly every couple months. Um, mm. And that you know, and I still didn't. And I would come back to South Carolina and connect with the community and and talk with people. And and there was there was certainly a level of support that was there, but there was also um, it was also a, a lonely experience because, as anyone who has attended any of these ceremonies, whether it's over the course of a couple nights or down in the jungle for weeks or month at, months at a time, there is this incredible sense of connection and community that is felt with the group in that weekend or in that, mm-hmm. that retreat or in that long-term experience. Like you develop such a deep and soul felt connection to these brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers and sons and daughters that you're journeying with in these ceremony experiences that when you leave and, or well, when I left and I came home you know, even the, the closest people in my life, it felt like there was this, this sense of separation, this division that I couldn't quite bridge. You know, I could share and I could open up and, and um, talk about my experiences. And I was always well held and, and supported. But these are people who hadn't experienced this medicine themselves. They didn't really have an understanding of what I was talking about or what I was experiencing. And I'm sure to some of them, they were like, well, he's lost his mind It was a good run. We had a good time, but whoop, he's gone now. Yeah. So that really began to instill in me how just the true essential importance of a integration practice or some kind of integration uh, opportunities to integrate your experience with people who have... Who understand at least in their own way what you're going through, you know, right. and yep. and really and, and it's it's said so often now that it's kind of cliche, but it's like the real ceremony doesn't even begin until you leave that hmm. Maloka, you know. Mm-hmm. That's you know it's one thing when you're in that space with the medicine and you're hearing these beautiful ikaros and all, you know, your oneness with all, and or maybe you're ear deep in a bucket letting out. 10 lifetimes worth of trauma. That's one thing. But now when you're Tuesday morning and you're going to work and you're going to go run into this coworker, you don't get along with too well, or, you know, a Thursday afternoon when you're struggling with that significant other, like that's where the medicine is the most potent. It's just, are we able to connect to it? And, and so I, I started to just see for myself how essential that uh, integration piece is in the whole experience and how lacking it was in my life at that time. Because um, at this point, I'm still, still very much struggling with this depression, struggling with this alcoholism. And hmm. be- because I didn't have a, a network of support I was learning for myself how to take these tools that I had spent the last 10 plus years developing, you know, the shamanic practice, this connection to the earth, this, this work with following the seasons through the year and, you know, understanding the moon and the moon cycles and connecting to that in a real way. Before it was always just a, um, it felt like an intellectual pursuit in a lot of ways, you know, it was, it was interesting. And it had me think interesting things. And, you know, I was able to kind of step out of the, the 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 feelings of pain and loneliness in my life for a couple hours every week and go do these fun things in the woods and, you know, journey and connect with my spirit guides. And But at some point, I had to come back to the reality, which is I'm a hurt and broken being who is having to just pull everything together just to get out of bed some days. Mm. But after this ayahuasca experience, I couldn't use that as an excuse anymore because there was no difference. There was no separation between the spiritual practice and the really deeply felt pain that I was experiencing. Kind of pulled out that layer. Right. Mm. And so, so it was like, all right, now this is no longer an intellectual pursuit. You know, I have been, if I, if I truly believe these things that I'm telling myself, which is, you know, the divinity that I pray to is all around me, even inside, that the universe is constantly advocating on my behalf, that, that, that there is this deeply felt connection to this ground beneath me. Well, now it's time to put that, you know, put my money where my mouth has been this whole time. And look at this look at these experiences this depression and this alcoholism and and approach it from this place of all right if if this is healing work that i'm doing then what am i doing to heal myself Hmm. and it was over the course of um i would say you know two years two or two years or so of just really of consistent practice and going into these ceremonies with the single focus, single minded, like the focused intention of what is this? Like what, where is this depression? What is this that's bringing me this sense of at times just, just self-destruction, you know, if not complete and total and final self-destruction, at least a lot of little self-destructions, you know, consistent, uh, consistently choosing, patterns and behaviors that hurt myself. And again, this this is this could be a whole series of podcasts on their own. Right. But what what the experience was each and every time, the medicine like slowly and surely constantly turned my perspective back to that light, you know? Back to this understanding that this love, this acceptance, this uh, appreciation that I have been constantly reaching outside of myself for the greatest source of it is inside hmm. you know? no one will ever be able to love me in the way that I love myself or I, I am I have the potential to love myself
0: yeah you know? that's powerful
1: and and to slowly turn that it was kind of like I mean it's turning a battleship you know in an mm-hmm. ocean of molasses in a lot of ways hmm. But to constantly come back to that truth that in order to even begin to appreciate and accept and receive the love that is outside of me, that is constantly being offered through friends, through loved ones, through experiences, through the ground beneath my feet, constantly saying, you are loved and you are worthy. Before I can even begin to hear that, what if I can hear it for myself and from myself first? Mm. and each and every way showing like here. And I, and I found this to be true that, you know, when I would go in with the intention, say, you know, I want to learn about self-love. All right. Just keep it broad, you know, kind of shoot for the moon. I want to learn about self-love in this ceremony. Invariably, the entire ceremony would be all about ways that I don't allow myself to do that in the first place. You know, it wasn't, you know, these experiences of, all my beautiful aspects and all these wonderful things and all of the, the greatness that I am, the medicine instead would show me all the ways that I don't allow myself to believe that. And I'm sure you can imagine those weren't very fun. You know, some people were telling me stories about they were riding the anaconda through the jungle, or I went to other dimensions and, Wow, sounded great. Meanwhile, I had spent the last two nights rolling around and all the things I'm most ashamed of. And I was like, man, why can't I drink what you're drinking? Sounds way better right. than what what they're giving me. But of course, the lesson for myself and those experiences were in each and every one of those when I had to go and look straight in the eye, those parts of myself that that caused me the most shame and guilt and blame, and to sit there and say, I'm sorry that I experienced that. I'm sorry that I did that to myself. Mm. You know, I forgive myself for putting myself in a place where I thought the only solution was to end it all, you know? Wow. Wow. I must've really been in pain and no wonder, like I've learned to just live with my pain at a seven, maybe an eight out of 10 and just learn. And I can, I can show up, I can go to work, I can yeah. sit across from you and have the whole conversation and make people laugh and have a great time and be at birthdays and, you know, let this old lady cross the street and at the same time be a few thoughts away from total annihilation. Hmm. And it, through this gradual process, night after night, ceremony after ceremony was this slow and steady reflection back within that this is where um, this is where this love and this acceptance and this forgiveness that I'm reaching out for across the whole globe, across the universe to find it's right here. And how can I begin to open up those pathways for that truth at the center of my being to come up to this surface and get around and get through and, and and move aside these layers of guilt and shame and blame that I have accumulated. Yeah. And so that was, you know, that probably if I were to kind of divide my, my medicine years, that was like the first, that was the introduction phase of my medicine (laughs) experience. Wow.
0: That's quite an introduction.
1: Yeah. I mean, it was, it's in, sometimes it felt like lifetimes and other times it was like, I, you know, really having the opportunity to appreciate how, uh, how supremely intelligent and wise and patient the medicine is, Yeah. you know, and to, I mean, there'd be times where I would leave on that Sunday and be like, I got it. I figured it out. Oh man, it's all set. It's going to be easy street from here. And Monday afternoon, I'm all the way back down doing the same thing you know, and, and, and just thinking like, I, I'm, I'm never going to get through this. I'm never going to get through this. But then I would look and I'd be like, wait a second. I've gone five days now without a drink. Hmm. Wow. I've gone a month now and I haven't hmm. even wanted a drink. And it, wow. it, it happened in a real, uh, such a subtle way where it was, I, I, one morning was just, it was on a Friday. I remember this distinctly Friday. After, I'd work on Fridays, Friday afternoon or evening, there would be uh, workshops at this metaphysical center that I was going to still living in Charleston at this time. And cool. they'd be different thing, meditations and channelings and, you know, community events. And every Friday, as soon as those would end, I would leave, walk up the street, go to the bar, Get my old fashioned and settle in for the night. And it was like clockwork. I mean, you could you could just follow my day every Friday in that order. Work, yeah, go to the meditation, you know, achieve this sense of bliss and this oneness, <laughs> and oh, I feel good. And then all right, okay, time to get a drink. And I when I started to really invest deeply into this healing with ayahuasca the discomfort that was coming up on those Friday afternoons when I knew like the meditation was, all right, got about 15 minutes left. I kind of knew what the rhythm of these meditations were and I knew it was getting close to the end and I could feel like, ah, now I'm going to go get a drink. Shit. I don't want to get a drink. Yeah, and I know I'm going to. And just that, that frustration, that, ang- that, that anger, turned inwards of like I'm going to do something I know I don't want to do and I can't do anything about it you know and yeah. it's excruciating and then I, I would it was almost like my body it wasn't almost it was as if my mind was saying no and my, my legs were like that sounds great but here we go have a seat and hmm. um and there was this this one Friday afternoon the meditation was coming to an end and I was just in this really kind of thoughtful place and the 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 leader called us all back and had a few closing words and said all right we'll have a good night we'll see you back here next Friday and got up and I left and I walked down if you've ever been in Charleston there's the battery which is at the the end of Charleston Island and this is beautiful little park by the water and I just walked down to the battery and just lounged around there sat on the bench and watched the sunset and watched the birds and then walked up meeting street and her Kings or Bay street, East Bay street and walked up and just kind of wandered through the alleys a bit and made it back to my place and sat down and put on some music. And then I was like, Holy crap. What am I doing here? It's eight 30 on yeah. Friday night. And I'm sitting here listening to some of my favorite music in my apartment. And, I just had a total – I just, like, leaned back and just cried and was just so wow. grateful. And it wasn't, it wasn't like this conscious – I had to rip myself away, go, like, go to the other side of the street away from my favorite bar. No, I was just, like, from within, I was yeah. back home, you know? Wow. And that – Um, I, I really, I kind of look at that as when my relationship to the medicine shifted because I, that was such a profoundly healing experience. I mean, like I said before, I had resigned myself to the fact that I will drink minimum five nights a week for the rest of my life. It's going to happen. You know, I at least don't drink at breakfast. I mean, Hey, I'm not that bad, (laughs) but like, this is what it's going to be to, over the course of about a year and a half, two years of working with this medicine, it wasn't even a thought. Whatever program had been installed, Benwilldrink.exe was deleted and removed. Wow! And to this day, I mean, there's nothing. I'm one of the few people at the Irish wedding that drinks water. You know, and
0: wow, that's that's incredible.
1: And 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 that it just it demonstrated the depths and the potential of the healing that this, and it's not just the medicine, you know, it's not that liquid in the glass that does it. You know, one thing I've learned that's, that's true for me is that these plant medicines don't heal. These plant medicines open up the opportunity and guide us to heal ourselves. Hmm. They offer the perspective that we can't see or have a very difficult time seeing for ourselves where to make that other choice, how to react in a different way, how to respond instead of reacting at all. Yeah, you know, these, these, these aren't magic potions that poof, you're fixed. They are their lenses, their perspectives. They're that other voice to offer a different op- option when you're looking at these things in our life that seem insurmountable. They offer, what about this way? What does it look like if you go this way? And invariably, when you go that way, it leads you deeper inside yourself, where you have to confront these deeper layers of guilt and shame and blame and regret and longing and resistance. All of these things that we hold for ourselves. And you have to do that work. You have to. That's the I work mean, you have to
0: do. It, just, it shows you what you have to do, but you have to go do that work.
1: Exactly. And the and the good thing is, is that there isn't a time limit or there isn't uh, we're not, nobody's getting graded on how well they do the work. The yeah. only thing that matters is, are you going to do the work? And for, I know plenty of people and I was one of them for many years who saw what the work was. I was like, mm, I'll pass. I'll, and I can't, I'm not going to, I choose not to. And that's Okay. And for some people, and I think that, you know, this is the medicine comes into our lives in a way that is relevant to where we are at that time. Mm
2: -hmm. And
1: for some people, medicine work is, will not be this deep healing, go back to those original core traumas and, and, and deal with them. For some people, medicine work is the experience, you know, um, Mm -hmm this work with whatever it is ayahuasca or psilocybin or whatever you know name any of them um not everybody is willing able or interested to dive into the depths and that's okay and the medicine will meet you where you're at but if you want to go to the depths you're going to have to do the work you know
0: yeah and is that something i know you talked about with the drums and the shakers and the moons that you would teach and help people. Is that something Mm -hmm. you're still doing?
1: Yeah. And what I found the most kind of getting back to what I said earlier was all of that work with shamanic journeying, it, Mm -hmm. it helped me understand my own spiritual or metaphorical or mythological language. It taught me how to understand the ways in which spirit through my psyche communicates to me the images, the memories, the metaphors. And when we go into these psychedelic spaces through these medicines, that's the world we're going into. You know, it's this this visionary landscape is individual to each and every one of us. Mm -hmm. And so what I found the most benefit was wow, I'd spent 12 years learning how to speak this language before I even entered this space in this way. And that it, it helped me from the very beginning, uh, understand ways to navigate those spaces. And when I would, you know, the really, and it's like, it trained my vision muscle, you know, my, my train, my third eye, I would say. And so I had like a, a a real natural capacity to open up to the visionary spaces that are, uh, that are a potential. Not everybody has visions and that's okay. For those that do, the visions can be really crazy, mm-hmm. super chaotic, really wild. And if we don't have a, a foundation or an understanding of the way that we interpret and engage in the, these, this symbolic language, it's, I mean, I liken it to going to a foreign city. Say I want to go to, I don't know, Rome. Can't go anywhere right now. But if I could go to Rome, i go there by myself. I don't speak Italian. I don't have a map. I'll have a beautiful time. I'll go see some wonderful things. You know, I see the Colosseum. I kind of know what that is. That's about. Now say I go to Rome with a guide, still don't speak Italian, but they at least speak English and they can interpret and kind of offer some perspective and communicate to me in a way to have a bit of a deeper understanding. Now say I go to Rome, I've learned Italian. I've done a little bit of study. And now my experience of that place will be even more deep and meaningful you know same with the 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 visionary landscape if we if we don't have an understanding of of the way that spirit talks to us we can have a beautiful time but the depths to which we're going to be able to go into those spaces is limited if we have an understanding of really simple basic concepts about like how do i interpret and engage in my own symbolic language um what are some really simple and basic tools around grounding, clearing your energy, centering and focusing into your body, really simple techniques, but are essential in order to explore these depths that we're talking about. Otherwise, you know, we can go into these places and have profound experiences and we can come back with what we can, but we come back with what we can. Yeah. And so that's really where I found and in, in what I offer uh, in, in my teachings now is how to utilize and work with these shamanic tools as a way to provide those tools when we go into these spaces. Yeah. And, and it's, I mean, it's like any other muscle. Our spirit is a muscle. The more we work it out, the stronger it gets, the more that we can rely upon it in times of stress. And so that's really what I have found to be a really essential practice. And for so many people who are coming into this, who are being exposed to entheogens and these traditional medicinal practices, this is their first experience with anything,
2: Mm -hmm.
1: you know, and, and we're, we're so fortunate and and should hold in our heart, deep gratitude for all the pioneers that went out there and did the hard work and went down into the jungle without, you know, without all the amenities that we have down there now and, or who did these real deep explorations, you know, the real original psychonauts. I mean, we are tremendously indebted to all of their hard work and it is also incumbent upon us to be responsible within which, how we continue their work now. Yeah. You know, that's a great point. And and so I think that's, that's a, A key part of our contemporary uh, psychedelic experience is, I mean, some people are going to be psychonauts and psychonauts are, you know, the exploration that's available in those ways and within these medicines is infinite. And there is an opportunity to explore these worlds with an understanding and appreciation and a reverence for the traditions within which they have made their way to us. Mm. and and for me that you know that's another part i i spoke a moment ago about you know how that my my work with plant medicine shifted after that experience of of releasing the grip that alcohol had on, had on me the way it shifted was that i dove more deeply into the shipibo tradition and the practice and mm. i really uh it because there's you know there's a number of different traditions that practice Iowa and have carried on the ayahuasca tradition and and the medicine and for me the Shipibo was one that resonated the most deep and mm-hmm. i i've spent the last well basically from that time till today um studying and practicing in with the Shipibo maestros and maestros that i've been open and Kind and compassionate enough to offer their tradition to those of us outside of the the lineage, yeah. and you know, for me, the greatest benefit that these traditions offer it's it's like a framework; it's the structure within which to explore. You know, mm-hmm. we go yeah, hiking. really
0: creating that, that that set and setting all in one right. amazingly designed experience.
1: Exactly, you know, because these are. These are practices that have been handed down for thousands of years. They've worked out some kinks, you know, they've learned the landscape a little bit. They've kind of understand where some of the pitfalls are and, and, and justly and rightly so there is some, uh, concern to just give yourself completely to, uh, you know, a tradition or a practice. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's bad eggs in every culture across the world, right? to to not just throw out the whole tradition because of some people who have abused their place as a healer or a teacher. Um yeah. and and for me and in, in the Shipibo tradition, what what really resonates with me is that the and it's through those ikros, right? Through those those medicine songs, you know, the greatest mm-hmm. healers that I've seen, the greatest curanderos and curanderas, are those that were completely and totally invested and committed to being that conduit for the healing in that moment. And, and this this is my experience of it. In the Shipibo tradition, those songs, those Icaros, they're not, uh, they're not songs in the way that, you know, we might often think of a song where it's got lyrics and a beginning, a middle and end. And, you know, you can sing the song and it sounds good and you can kind of tweak it or whatever. An ikaro is, is it's sung in that moment, singing to what is present in the room or sing, what is present in that, that patient, that pasajero that sits in front of them. And so in a, in a real way, the same ikaro is never sung twice. Right. Because it's what is present in that moment with the dedication and the commitment to helping that person. Yeah. You know, this person yeah. is in pain, they're in suffering. What can I do to help them right now? And then in that space of reverence and prayer, going in and connecting to this incredible garden of medicine that that healer has acquired and and gathered over the many decades of practice through the diets, through their connection to ayahuasca, through their connection to the other master plants that they have devoted themselves to, they become uh, a a conduit for all this medicine to come out with the sole and express purpose of helping that person.
0: Yeah. You yeah, know? it's pretty pretty magical.
1: Yeah. It's not a it's not a concert, you know. Right. It's not a it's this is you know this, this those Malocas down there in Peru where they do these they're emergency rooms. It's a jungle hospital down there. Right. And and it's um, it's through just witnessing over over years, going consistently going down there and spending time and just observing the level and the depth to which these people have dedicated themselves to this practice. Um yeah. that's that's really what continues to open up for me my own practice, you know, and my own connection, my own personal relationship with this medicine and with the diets that I have practiced over the years and and the ways that I have learned to to navigate these spaces it all comes back to that that intention that clarity of purpose which is I am here to be the clearest channel I can be to help that person
0: wow wow that's beautiful and hmm. I've got a couple more questions for you but um in, in your your journey once you transitioned into the plant medicines here I'm you mentioned how in your spiritual journey in the beginning, you had a hard time finding people you could talk to about it. Mm-hmm. Has it been the same with plant medicine? Have you been able to talk uh, to, about these these journeys and your experiences and the things you're doing today with, with friends and with family mm-hmm. and other people? Have you felt a stigma as a result of that?
1: Yeah, no, I haven't. Um, if anything, it's the, the, the further I go with this medicine, the more me I become, mm. you know? Mm-hmm. the more the more opportunity i find in the everyday to be myself you know the masks yeah. i think in one way or another we're going to carry these masks in sh- some shape or form for the whole our whole time here you know i don't think anyone can be 100% authentic 24 hours a day and that's not the right. point but for me it, in in my experience is how can i bring me into my life more fully and uh a few years ago i had left charleston and i moved out to phoenix arizona where i'm at now and um i mean medicine has a funny way of just kind of bringing it kind of like collects people together you know mm-hmm. you kind of like spot each other in a crowd you know like, uh, yeah. yeah you you definitely you drank a couple things in your day and people kind of you know the the opportunities for connection and community uh begin to expand exponentially the the deeper that you go into the work and so when i came out here to phoenix didn't know anybody just me and my cat and my cat wasn't much for conversation still isn't mm. but i was now at this point i had been working with this medicine for 5 years or so four or five years and and had a real you know at this point i'm have been practicing diets and and really exploring deeply. And all the while, still that truth that I got from my first experiences of the importance of integration, and the necessity for a safe, a safe space, and a safe community to be able to express this, it is essential, you know, yeah. otherwise, again, it's just it's going to limit the, the capacity for depth and exploration and healing. Yeah. And so when I came to Phoenix, I had, um, by this point, I had had a number of years of seeing what healthy community looks like. You know, these ceremonies that I was going to, and I, I, by this point, I was going to a number of different ceremonies across the country and places that I had been connected to. And it was the same thing, you know, supportive, nurturing, caring people who wanted to hold that space and right. wanted to not only have the, the, the space held for them to do their exploration, but to return the favor. And so I, I knew what it felt like to me to be in a, in a, in a healthy, safe community. And so now it was like, all right, how can I bring that here for myself? And, uh, it didn't, it really didn't take that long. Honestly, you know, I, I kind of gotten involved in the community in Phoenix. There's it's, there's many, many spiritual communities here and and some uh, you know stores and and centers around the city that are, are just do a, just such a phenomenal job of offering a place of safety mm-hmm. and acceptance when it comes to these things. So I started there and, and began to meet um, some other people and and by this point, this is 2015 by this point, I mean, it's global. Everyone knows about ayahuasca right. documentaries are out by this point. Yep. And, you know, so it, it didn't have to be so hush hush about it. And I started to, you know, find myself in the company of similarly dedicated, compassionate, uh, curious healers for themselves and for others. And, you know, the, that type of connection accumulates the healing for everybody, you know, rising tide raises all ships and certainly true in the healing practices as well. So, and then, uh, two or three years ago, um, I, you know, seeing this, this, these great resources in this wonderful community that's here in Phoenix, um, wanted to, uh, organize it for myself a little bit more intentionally. And, you know, at this point, we're spending time together and, you know, gatherings and potlucks and small right. ceremonies and big ceremonies. And, and, I, and I was feeling like, you know, I think we could also benefit from some dedicated and organized integration practices, whether mm-hmm. it's like an integration group, uh, integration meetings, whatever, whatever it looks like, but really put some intention and intentionality behind it. And I, uh, with the help of some other people in the in the community here, began organizing regular integration circles for people coming from all experiences. It didn't have to be just plant medicine, whatever yeah. whatever wherever your spiritual path is taking you, we all need to sit and to speak and be heard, yeah. and listen and hold space. It doesn't matter what you're doing i mean that's that's fundamental, and so I've, I've spent the last couple of years with the help of some wonderful people in this community, people, you know, real talented, gifted medicine people um, to, to expand and, and continue to offer these opportunities for each and every one of us to sit and speak and listen and be heard. And um, now it's interesting times now for many reasons Right, because you know, kind of the state of the state of the world right now is one of this distancing, and at the same time, in many ways, we've seen this this sense of community and support be stronger than ever. And um, and so, yeah, that that's kind of where the 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 focus is on my own work now is to continue these uh, continue my own study first and foremost, you know, cause the, you know, I, 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 was able to slay one dragon, the drinking dragon. Right. And uh, dragon of depression is my own belief. And this could change. Who knows? I could do a few more ceremonies and see something else, but um, I, I've come through this leg of my journey to have an, an appreciation for that experience appreciation for this capacity that I have to fall into some very deep dark holes. Yeah. And because it's in, it's in the pain where the greatest medicine is going to be found. Hmm. And so that's, that, I think I'll always be navigating that landscape, you know, and yeah, the world will continue to provide opportunities for me to feel alone And uh, (laughs) me to have to navigate these feelings, these intensity of the emotions, you know, the depths of our feelings can take us into some far out places. Sure. can. And, you know, over the course of a spiritual practice, I really feel like the purpose of a spiritual practice is not to uh, not only to achieve some sort of like heightened state of consciousness or achieve some sort of, you know, or or surpass the realm of opposites. Yes, for sure. And the purpose of a spiritual practice is to provide tools and perspectives to navigate your day, you know, Hmm. to offer you an opportunity to look past the immediacy of your experience, whatever it is, good, bad, or indifferent, and see a bigger, broader picture to it. Connect yourself to the depths of this earth that's beneath us see yourself in the cosmos overhead and see that whatever is happening in front of you right now is part of a much larger, broader picture Yeah. through that spiritual practice, whatever it is. All right. Well then how do you take your next step? You know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. And that's probably a good place to to stop, but I want to give you one last chance to, is there anything else you want to put out there or get out there or share before we wrap up?
1: Sure. Well, you know, once again, just thank you for doing this and providing the space. And um, I'm in the, I I would say I'm in the, the final steps, but every time I say that there seems to be a few more steps that pop up. So I'm in the process of uh, getting my own podcast and online presence to further kind of what what I've been talking about here. Um, A lot of these tools and practices and offer opportunities for, People, myself included, to share their stories just like you're doing so well. Um, so it's a work in progress, but it's the website is originalmythology.com. That'll All also right. be the title of the podcast. Not a whole lot there right now, just a pretty background picture and some text. But um, okay. uh, that, that's where I'll be kind of launching uh, the. The podcast and opportunities for teaching and uh, some online programs that I'll be making available. Um, and also if, you know, through the Facebook, we have, uh, as I mentioned, this, this integration community that mm-hmm. is here in, in Phoenix, uh, we, our Facebook page is simply called Phoenix integration community. And it's open to anyone, anybody, whether you're in Phoenix or or not, anyone is welcome to join and to be a part of it. Uh, Yeah, I'm I'm a member.
0: I recommend it. If you're listening, go join that.
1: Awesome. Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. that's it. I, I, again, really appreciate kind of what you're doing in in this time, how important it is to um, allow people the opportunity to share where they're at and and express themselves in a way that... um, perhaps offers an opportunity for someone else to be healed through it. So thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And thank
0: you for coming and sharing your story. It's the stories like yours that I think are going to have that impact. And uh, I'm very excited for your podcast. I will look out for that and I'll keep the link on this podcast so people can find it from here. Great. And uh, yeah, just, you know, Ben, thank you so much for sharing all that. That was really great information and I'm truly honored to have you here.
1: Likewise. Thank you so much. I look forward to doing this again. I'll have you on mine. All right. Sounds good. Okay. Sounds
0: good. Thanks, Ben. Thank you. That concludes this edition of the Stoned Ape Reports. Thank you for listening. Please follow us on Instagram at Stoned Ape Comedy, and subscribe to our newsletter at www.stonedapecomedy.com. Again, thanks for listening and catch you next time, Stoned Apes.